Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number two. They made us watch, written by Hicks Kim. Author note, this one is way, way darker than the usual stuff I offer up, so, uh, trigger warning for, like, um, a lot of stuff. End of author's note. Alarm claxtons blared to light throughout the building, red light strobing in a pattern that led through the labyrinthian halls of the main lobby. Carter pushed away from his lunch table and immediately began following procedures. He drew his weapon and raced along the hallways, joining with few other combat-ready responders as he went. Within a dozen heartbeats, they were in a cavernous lobby of the Galactic Security HQ building with two score others. Everyone had their weapons drawn and set to maximum. A firefight where would have left nothing but ashes, but protocol was protocol. Standing in the center of the hall was one creature with the cosmos everyone present both feared and loathed. Carter, and ranking officer present, stepped forward and only barely aware of the number of plasma bolts that would pass through his body if things got bad. Gods, things nearly always went bad lately. He approached the figure, whose eyes were cast towards the floor. He cleared his throat and spoke. War General Madur! One eye flicked upwards to meet Carter's, then back to the floor. I'll take your silence as the affirmative. You are to be arrested. Any attempt to resist will result in your immediate execution, and if it costs my life as well, so be it. Do you intend to comply? A subtle nod. For the moment, Carter was confused. The whole protocol had been designed around the eventuality that most bloodthirsty, violent, hateful war criminal would one day be sighted. The alarms had gone off because he had been identified with a certainty of 99.999998%. This was the Butcher of Battlegeist, the Void-Hearted Villain, and all the other alternative names given to the creatures that haunt the nightmares of children and adults alike. Yet, he stared at the floor as though he were afraid. No, not afraid. This creature was broken. Kneel down and lay on the floor. Keep all appendages in sight. Do not make any sudden movements, or you will be executed. Madur spread his arms wide and lowered himself to the floor. Every weapon followed, all pointed at his head. The faintest whispers escaped from the carder, stooped to fasten the restraints around him. They won't let me die. Please, let me die, please. Carter stood back upright, gesturing for four nearby responders. They lowered their holstered their weapons and stepped forward and lifted Mordor to his feet and checked his restraints. One after another, they signaled confirmation that the restraints were secure. One spat in Mordor's face, though the war general gave no sign of noticing. Carter stepped back and called out, Stand down to blue, go full facility lockdown, send out the notifications to all next to kin and galactic council. The clacton stopped and the haunting sounds as the red strobes were traded for a steadily ambient blue. Most of the responders received a quick notification in their HUDs that their families had been notified of the situation, followed 
by another notification that all communications had been temporarily suspended. They formed a tight group around the prisoner and, as one, began marching War General Madur through the heavy door and into the hallway. Adjacent doors beheld civilian spectators, all watching in horror and disbelief as the reason for this sudden sequestration passed into view. Several scrambled to beat their fists against the windows as they went by, clamoring for retribution. After what felt to Carter like an eternity, they reached another large door. It opened silently and Carter stepped through, followed by Madur and half of the contingent of soldiers. In the middle of the room stood a small table with a simple chair on one side. Across from it, a more complex apparatus stood ominously, with several holes and jagged shapes all over it. Madur shuffled forward, placing himself into the apparatus. It sprang to life and connected his restraints at several points. Locks whirred into place and several red lights switched to green. Breathing somewhat more easily now, Carter took a seat in the chair as the soldiers spread out around the room, never lowering their weapons from Madur. Carter tapped on the panel on the table, which chimed pleasantly in reply. Acting Colonel Carter, serial number 11235813, recording interrogation of War General Madur of the Stryer Conquest Legion. Another chime. War General Madur, you have been placed under arrest for over 7,000 war crimes across a 100 planets. 7,483 war crimes across 562 planets. Estimated dead approaching 1 trillion sentient beings, plus the ecosystems of 42 former life-bearing planets. Carter tapped the table, updating a few records as Madur spoke. He resumed speaking as the table chimed acceptance of the updates. Very well, the records have been updated to reflect these numbers. Tell me, War General Madur, why have you surrendered yourself to us? Surely you must know what's awaiting you on the other side of this interrogation. I do. I'm hoping what's waiting doesn't change. You hope to be executed publicly. I'm hoping you can succeed in executing me, yes. Carter blinked a few moments. Perhaps we should start at the beginning then and get all the information we need, and I'll see what we can do to oblige you. Madur nodded as much as he could in his restraints. As you know, I led the Steyr Conquest Legion in a long war across most of the galaxy. We subjugated planets. Those who wouldn't bow were exterminated and pillaged. My war fleet grew stronger with every defeated world. My warriors feasted on the meats of sentience. We burned entire worlds to husks. We didn't care at all that the life-barbering planet was such a rare gem. For us, for me, there was only the conquering, only the taking of everything for myself. Many planets sent out distress signals at my approach. Some even continued transmitting as I melted their cities to glass from above. I thought that they were pitiful, whining, mewing little vermin, begging to emptiness to save them. After the 562nd planet, the emptiness came upon my fleet. I thought my own ships might be innumerable. The emptiness spat out a cloud of titans. Any single one of the vessels matched my fleet for weight, and they outnumbered me a thousand to one. They sent no signals. They gave no warning or hesitation. They appeared and opened fire on every single ship in my armada, save one, mine. 
They dragged my ship through debris fields and into one of their own. My ship's weapons fired without ceasing, but did nothing. It was as if a child were throwing pebbles upon a mountain. Then they tore open the ship as one might hide from a beast. As they went, they captured my crew and bound them up. They came to the bridge and took me, and my attempts to resist were feeble by comparison to their strength. I was as weak and impotent, then all crying children on every planet that I'd taken were against me. They restrained me to a wall, and one by one they brought my crew before me. Each one was placed in front of me in full view, and these monsters killed them. The first few kills were quick, then the monsters started prolonging it. One of my flight captains was systematically dismembered. They were slow and careful the entire time. He lived through everything as they did to him, before they finally killed him. His silence was a momentary mercy. Several of the monsters took his limbs and roasted them on an open flame, then looked me in the eye and ate the flesh. His blood was running from their mouths and their horrible gnashing teeth. When I looked I might pass out, they injected me with stimulants. I thought my heart would explode, but their cruelty was precise, and I lived through it all. They found my children and placed them before me, gave each of them a small blade and said, whoever kills the other gets to go free. My children sobbed and begged me to save them from the monsters. After a while, my son realized I wasn't going to save them. How could I? I was paralyzed and bound. My son put his knife down, grabbed his little sister's hand and pulled her knife into him. Such bravery, my son had. My little girl screamed and screamed and screamed. And then the monsters showed me his teeth and shot her in the head. All those atrocities I committed, they visited back upon me. They, uh, they made me watch. They pulled me behind a door and pressed my eyes against a window to see them open to an airlock and dump the bodies of my soldiers and my children into the emptiness. Then they took me to the surgical bay. I was paralyzed, but I could still feel it all. They cut me open and installed some kind of device. Then they closed me up and dropped me on the nearest planet with a tiny shuttle, and they left. Harder, who had been listening in abject horror, found his voice after a few moments of silence. I, uh, I see. Do you know what the device is exactly? Memories. Come again? They collected all the distress calls, all the screams, all the recordings of the aftermath of my crimes. Everything. And they put them all in my head. And they'll play forever. Even now they're playing. I can hear the mothers weeping over their dead babies in Ruckle too, where we took their entire food supply. The survivors are broken from having to resort to cannibalism just to get to the next harvest time. That species will never recover from what I did to them. Functionally, they are extinct, except in my head, where their screams will live for eternity. This is not the first time you've mentioned eternity and immortality, War General. The device has a second function. I tried killing myself several times before I came to you. I healed afterwards. I healed from the plasma bolt to the head. I healed from being exposed to the hard vacuum and then atmospheric reentry and planetary impact. Somehow, this device won't let me die. Carter leaned back in his chair. And because you know our law demands you be executed and fully killed for your crimes, you came to us knowing that we would uphold our laws. I came to beg for mercy, something I never offered anyone. Tell me, do you know the names of these would-be monster saviors? 
If I speak the name, will you kill me? If you speak the name, I shall consider this interrogation complete and direct our medical personnel to extract the aforementioned device that you might be summarily executed. They're called humans, and they, uh, they, uh, Carter leaned forward to catch the whisper. They made me watch. End of story. Story number one. Humans are weird. Self-control. Written by Betty Adams. For the record, Eighth Sister said calmly, as she could with her frill extended as far out as it would go in a display that she could only pray the human didn't recognize as scornful disbelief. For what record, the human sitting across the table from her demanded. His outer membrane was flushed with toxin signals and his pheromones cloud was wash with horrid indicators of internal torment of digestive systems was going through. For once in her career, Eighth Sister regretted that human biosignals were so easy to translate. The medical record, Eighth Sister said, forcing a frill to lay flat. The one your superiors are paying me to keep. The one that you yourself said was a, and I quote, a crackerjack. Don't quote my words back to me, snapped the human, stumping in a way that should not have been possible for a creature with a calcified endoskeleton. Very well, Eighth Sister agreed. She reminded herself that the digestion-impeded human was suffering far more than she was and deserved sympathy, even if, as she suspected, his suffering was entirely his own doing. Now, when you submitted the specific dietary needs to the base, you indicated that you had a dangerous learned immune response to the common human foods, she asked. Gluten, mammalian lactation, and yeast byproducts, the human muttered with a sigh. And what product did you specifically order from the non-essential foodstuffs merchant, she asked. Chocolate eclairs, the human said with a still lower voice. And did you personally eat these non-essential foodstuffs, she asked. I bloody well did, snapped the human, and for the record, you know. And what was the primary ingredients of these non-essential foodstuffs? She pressed on, deciding to ignore the outburst. Sugar, he began, and chocolate, and baked soda, and baking powder, and water. And, she pressed, milk, gluten, and yeast, he muttered, somehow managing to slump even lower in his seat, all while maintaining a steady, resentful glare at the point right between her eyes. She waited for him to continue to offer some explanation, but he only glared at her defiantly until she let her frill droop down and gestured at the door. As he stood, his gastro system released a cloud of foul waste product, and he blushed the embarrassment before hurrying out the room. Eighth Sister clamped down her frill and wondered if she could get a transfer. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.